What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark Stay. And I'm Mark DeVoe. And before we dive into this week's fantastic episode, as always, we'd like to say thank you to all of our amazing patrons, especially this week to our new patron, Terry Beth Raw. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey and adventure and supporting this podcast. We are so, so grateful. And if you would like to join Terry Beth and all of our other wonderful patrons, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support where you can get an insane amount like we're talking you know how like all these streaming services they're all like you know stuff's dropping off all the time like you know oh two weeks to do this one week and they're all getting like we've got more stuff than netflix now haven't we when you think about it i reckon not sure we have but you know let's go with it yeah let's roll with that yeah <laughs> not to feel like it you know you know that moment where you start to lose count of all of the exclusive bonus material you know that yeah, yeah. it's at that point now isn't it a lot of goodies it's a lot of goodies yeah we couldn't even spend an entire episode listing off all of the specialist interviews and deep dives that we've got for everyone that supports us so please do consider it folks if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and you would like to uh, to help uh, continue every week what we do that would be fantastic so mr stay how are you keeping sir i'm good man i'm good uh i, I had a head cold last week so if i suddenly start you know uh coughing my guts up that's why but i'll try not to do that i'll try and mute myself if that happens but yeah no it's all good i'm still um unwelcome is now out to buy digitally in the uk so you know if you go to apple or amazon or sky or whoever you get your digital downloads from you can buy it it's going to be able to you can rent it from the 13th monday 13th uh and then in the states it's going to be in theaters from the 8th of march i think it's a very limited release and then from on digital from the 14th of March. And I think 14th of March might be where we start seeing it crop up all over the world because I had um, uh, my friend Julian Barr in Australia said, oh, it's coming on digital 14th of March in Oz. So check out, go to, you know, Apple, Amazon, or your wherever you get your digital movie downloads from and you'll probably start seeing it crop up there because I really want people to see it so we can do like a proper spoiler special with questions from listeners and stuff like that because because people are asking me questions particularly about the ending mostly that start with what the f i've got some questions i've got some questions about the ending like, i've been holding back but we will we will explore we will explore yes, that. we will explore i saw you finally got credited on imdb as well <laughs> i've got an internet movie database you have yeah, you've got two. You've got two. Well, this is the crazy thing. I didn't even realise I was on IMDb. Like, well, I don't know if this is like one of these like bucket list, like badge of honours things, but yeah. Um, it, weirdly enough, um, a number of years ago, I went and um, 
So Stephen Barton, who's a guy that I started writing music with years ago, who who, who worked on the Narnia films, did a lot of music for Narnia and uh, Shrek. <laughs> he worked on the Shrek movies. Composer, Hollywood film composer, did a lot of like major video games. Like he did the uh, music for Sky, Skyrim, uh, and some massive games. Wow. Um, but anyway, the, he invited me along to a, a session where they were filming. They were actually recording an orchestra for a, a, a movie. And uh, yeah, started dabbling around and helping out. And he gave me a scoring assistant uh, nice. credit, which was bonkers. But I've got to say, my my pride and joy is having a credit on Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Official. I think I'm now going to start a career mark as a professional voice actor now, I think. You know, I think well, now. you know, let's not spoil it because people won't, you know, they won't oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't okay. know necessarily we'll, we'll, we'll where you're coming further yet. than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. gosh. Well, yeah. but yeah. the other thing is, okay. So what I will say, what I will say there, and I have seen the movie, and I absolutely loved it. It was the, it was a surrealist night of my life. It was absolutely brilliant. Went to London, <laughs> watched it at Leicester Square. But um, I think what we're going to do, Mark, is next week, the week before the movie, we'll run a competition for a couple of audiobooks of Back to Reality for who can find the most um, most number of. Um, bestseller experiment uh, Easter, eggs. Easter eggs that you slipped in <laughs> this massive movie from Warner because you know what I mean that's that's got to be a first a podcast jokes uh, you know so because I don't I actually don't think I found all of them but we're, I think we'll have a little competition next week where we'll talk about it. so if you want to if you want to do that one it'll mean you'll have to watch the movie which is which is great yep. but secondly you know um, we'll, we'll have watch it more than once Watch it more than once because, but because the other thing is, some of these are probably unintentional. Uh, there's, there's like, there's like, you know, there's a couple that are definitely, there's definitely intent. I thought people will like the people who know this, and I've already had people say there's a couple of lines where they laughed out loud, and everyone else in the cinema is going, "What's wrong with you? Why, why is that so funny?" I know. <laughs> well, I've got to tell you something, Mark. When I went to see it, uh, as I mentioned, we went to Leicester Square. We went large. We went on the mm. opening night. It was brilliant. We I obviously stayed to the very end, watched all the credits and listened to the music and 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 every and 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 everyone else stayed in the theater. No one else left until it which is unusual because usually a few people get up and go, but everyone just were kind of like sitting there just trying to absorb what had happened. (laughs) 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 Which is kind of just I mean, again, I'm not spoiling anything, but like it's one of those movies that's so impactful when you when you finish it, you can't not go away and not try and think about it and try and, but there was, there were two, I've got to tell you the story. There were two um, mid girls in their mid twenties sitting in the back row and they were just, they were just talking up a storm as soon as the credits had kind of like come up, they would chat, 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 chat. And as, and then laughing their heads off, they were laughing like, and, and then as I left and I walked behind them, one of the one of the girls said that was the best 20 quid i have ever spent <laughs> right so i was really? like got, yeah i've so got a <laughs> they had such a blast and i just and they were they, they like we stayed right 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 to the very very end people started leaving and then we all i was there with a few few of our kind of like old school friends and uh, we were kind of like looking at each other and laughing and smiling and chatting. And then these other girls were the last to leave as well. And they would, and they were still in the cinema when we left laughing and talking about the movie. So if that isn't, if that isn't an endorsement, I don't know what is. That's good to hear. That is good to hear. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Well, so, so yeah, I think we'll, we'll obviously, this is, you know, it's going to be a big, a big deal. It's a big release. It's going out across like most of the countries in the world, I'm guessing. So, well, I mean, it's, it's, the, 
yeah, it's 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 weird because it's it's kind. Of, it's not like when when something lands on Netflix, pretty much everyone can go and see it. Uh, whereas this rights have been sold all over the world to this place, that place, or the other. But like I say, I think um, middle of March to the end of March, I think most people in the world will get an opportunity to rent it or download it or whatever. So you should 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 be getting a lot more eyes on it. Uh, between now and then and i'm just fascinated to know what people particularly people outside the uk and ireland think of it yeah 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 yeah. well the other thing is is of course you know we spent a year doing the podcast and we did the you know we we had a a year of build-up and anticipation to us writing this book releasing back to reality that was season one of the podcast for anyone who's joining us this week um but unwelcome actually has probably been i'm thinking two three years at least we yeah, talking well, about we, it. Well, we finished shooting it just uh, two and a half years ago. So two and a half yeah. years ago. <laughs> it's been three years. So this is like three yeah. times the intensity that's been yeah. built. So, uh, yeah. but I, I love it. And, and and you've knocked it out of the park. Seriously. I just think oh, it you. is such a, such a brilliant bit of movie. And it, and it's not just, it's not just, um, well, there's so many things to talk about with it, but I've got to say for me, one of the most amazing moments was, and again, no spoilers, but that you've got to just, if you get a chance to see it in the cinema, if you're in the US, get a chance to see it in the cinema, or if you've got like one of those ridiculously massive TVs, which I know a lot of people do, you'll also get this at home. The cinematography is absolutely, like, terrific. if you like Ireland, like seriously, the Irish, the Irish tourist board should be, should be sponsoring <laughs> the movie up to about halfway. And then... <laughs> 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 well, our, our cinematographer is a guy called Hamish Doyne Dipmas, who is terrific. And he went to great lengths to get old lenses. These are old lenses that still have lead in them because you can't use, you can't do that anymore. Any new lenses, the lead isn't in there, but the lead gives it a kind of old school look and it gives it a kind of 70s 80s horror movie look to it that you don't get now with modern lenses and he was very particular about getting these and we were lucky because we were one of the first productions to sort of come out of lockdown so we had kind of had our pick of the lenses and the equipment and crew as well we got some amazing crew so um yeah it does look really it's got and again because we because of the way we shot the film a lot of it is we're inside, but it looks outside. So it has this kind of heightened hammer horror, Tim Burton, Terry Gilliam kind of look to it, you know, intense colors. And yeah, it's almost like a fairy tale. So, um, so yeah, it's got a very unique look. We love it. Absolutely yeah. brilliant. And, and I will also say this as well, because a lot of people, a lot of people don't know this, but um, if you're into Game of Thrones, there's a whole other like Easter egg game that you can play of like how many Game of Thrones actors you can, you can find in, in Mark's movie because I'm a massive Game of Thrones fan and I, I was just like, wow, this is like an absolutely We've, amazing well, cast we did, as well. You know, we cast uh, genuine Irish actors. I think it's one of John's, because John is from Belfast and it's one of his bugbears when you see films set in Ireland and they've got British act, English actors doing Irish accents or whatever. So he, he wanted to, which is why my one line in the film was cut because uh, my Irish accent wasn't up to snuff. I had, I, I had a line and it got cut. So... Thank you. Oh. Thank you very much. But yeah, well, let's see, so you, you will get to see a little bit of Mark in the movie if you, uh, if you keep an eye out for that. People, of course, are interesting. I bet you there's people out there who've maybe listened to the podcast for years, but maybe you've never watched um, it on other podcasts on YouTube or maybe even seen a picture of us, right? Because I know I always remember with the radio DJs, I always used to have this weird kind of like imaginary, what do these pe- voices, what do they look like? And you have a, yeah. you, you get a very solid, like, 
um, like Pat Sharp. <laughs> it's bizarre. <laughs> back, capital FM. I'm really 80s kids. But, um, you know, when I saw what he looked like, I'm like, that is nothing like I imagined in my head. Really? Um, so I wonder how many people like might hear you. Might, well, we'll see. We'll see. So if you're not in one of the kind of major like movie releases, places like, you know, Canada, America, Australia, the UK, um, you know, let us know if you see the movie come out on streaming places and we can we can share share the word as well through that because um this is something we'll be talking about you know a little bit going forward as well so it'd be fun to hear because we've got listeners all over the world like how many countries yeah. was it about 90 countries or something everywhere you know and i know we've got listeners in in nepal and places like that so if you're in nepal and you managed to catch me at the flicks i'd love to hear about it you know it's, oh, uh, completely, yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah so crazy places where you watch the movie would be a fun little theme to have but um, excellent definitely stuff. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, listen, talking about knocking out the park, we've knocked it out of the park again this week with our special guest, haven't we, Mark? Tell us about the return Try one of our very early, early guests from the first Yes, we welcome back Mark Edwards, who was on episode 35, back when it was just with double figures. Do you remember those heady, heady days? Uh, And I'll I'll put that uh, a link in the show notes to that. That was recorded in May 2017 when he'd sold a mere two million copies of his books. Well, Mark writes psychological thrillers, uh, and he's now sold more than th- 4 million copies of his books now, I think, and he tops the bestseller list many, many times. And it's now 10 years since his first solo novel, The Magpies, and we talk about that. We also discuss why the themes of some books work better than others, about building a relationship with your readers, and why there are times when he feels like Radiohead. Brilliant. So let's dive in and listen to uh, the other two Marks chatting. Um, absolutely <laughs> lovely Mark Edwards. Mark Edwards, welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm good. I can't believe it. I think it was seven years ago that I was on here last. Six or seven years ago? Six years ago. Six years we ago. spoke to you May 2017, you know, so almost yeah. six years ago. Incredible That's stuff. Crazy. You've been doing this all that time. Well, and you've been doing this all that time as well. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. We were talking, and, and listeners, I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check this out, check this out because the episode was called The Incredible Tenacity of Mark Edwards. And talking about tenacity, you know, it took yeah. you... 17 years to get a book deal and you're still oh, here 15 years yeah i know <laughs> i know so it's 10 years now since i published the magpies which is my first right. solo book and it's 12 years overall since i got my first deal with when i was writing with louise voss so yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's 12 12 years and i've been doing it full time as my my only job my only source of income for a decade yeah so well i don't amazing. I don't want to repeat too much of what we went yeah. over the first yeah. time round, but I mean, it was, let's, I mean, talk about tenacity. Let we, I do want to talk about it a bit because, you know, it was submitted and rejected back in 2000. So actually it's, it's a bit older than 10 years old, isn't it? It's, uh, and then, yeah. you know, you, you had an agent, then you lost an agent and then you quit for yeah. a few years. So yeah. Mag, Magpies is, um, was a big turning point for you. How are you celebrating? It was. Well, so this year is, this April, in fact, is the 10-year anniversary of that right, right. book being published. And originally I self-published it before it was picked up by Thomas mm. and Mercer later that year. So I am going to have a big party on my Facebook page, as is traditional with me. I've been Excellent. doing loads. I've been doing those for 10 years now. And they used yeah. to just be text, but now they're video. <laughs> 
text. Oh my! So I'm trying to imagine that text-only parties on Facebook. What a world! I know we were just typing, <laughs> just typing stuff. I would just, I mean, there would be photos as well, but it was yeah. main text. And then about five years ago, or maybe even longer, I went, I went over to video. I know it seems so strange now that I would just be sitting there typing furiously all evening. <laughs> um, so I'll be having a party. And then I'm so in the years since I last spoke to you, I published two short sequels to the magpies, two novellas, right. uh, Murder of Magpies and Last of the Magpies. So they came out in 2018 and 2019 and did pretty well. Um, and they've only ever been available as ebooks and audiobooks and over the years i've had so many people write to me saying i don't read i don't read ebooks and i want to yeah. read these as as in print um and i only actually realized a couple of years ago that i still owned the print rights to those books <laughs> right. i thought that my publisher had got all <laughs> of the rights but had chosen not to create paperbacks of them and then i looked at my contract and and it suddenly dawned on me that they'd only bought the e and audio rights so i thought right i'm gonna i'm gonna publish them myself okay. so that's what i'm doing and i'm tying it into the 10-year anniversary i'm being entrepreneurial <laughs> still and bringing them out myself um and we're going to create there'll be a standard paperback edition and then there'll be a limited edition um kind of box set with some other goodies that i'm that i'm pulling together to celebrate the the anniversary of of the magpies so so yeah there'll be there'll be lots going on um on my on my social media over that month and um yeah hopefully it will kind of get people excited and kind of the idea is to get people to remember like why they started reading my books in the first place and kind of yeah in the lead because the last few books that I've written um have been set in America mm -hmm. and I kind of moved away from the domestic suspense the domestic noir stuff that I was best uh -huh. known for because I just wanted to kind of spread my wings a bit and try some new stuff so I wrote The Hollows which was set in Maine uh, on a campsite so it was, that was kind of like my Stephen King tribute right <laughs> and I wrote No Place to Run which was a more of an Linwood Barkley-esque action with people running around the forest of California and then there was the house guest before that which was in New York and so my new book Keep Her Secret which comes out at the end of May is my return to the UK my return to domestic noir and um yeah so and it ties in nicely i mean i didn't plan this it's coincidence that it ties in with the 10 year anniversary of the magpies so by kind of celebrating that um i'm trying to kind of remind people why they started reading mark edwards books back in the day back, back in, in the day, the day. Thing, yeah <laughs> but there's, a, there's a there's a lot to unpack there I, uh you yeah. know there's there's magpies and then there's the the entrepreneurial thing and then there's writing in the states and coming back here and i want i want to talk yeah. about all of those but the okay. magpies i i'm wondering what your relationship with uh the magpies is because it for a lot of people it might be the first book they read of yours it might be yeah. their favorite book because this is yeah. something that i think rankles with a lot of authors people will say oh that first book you wrote that's my favorite and you're sitting yeah. there thinking 
well, you know, I'm not exactly chopped liver since, you know, I've been working. <laughs> so what's your relationship with uh, with this a book is, like The Magpies? Yeah, I mean, I actually just wrote a very long um, afterword to the to the new paperback, and I've covered this topic in that, okay. like my relationship <laughs> with the book. Because first of all, it changed my life, that book. Mm. So I have a very positive relationship with it because it was the book that allowed me to become a full-time writer. Mm. And if you go back and listen to my first interview with you in 2017, you'll see that I'd kind of really been in the doldrums and things have been going badly with my traditional deal. Um, and the Magpies kind of rescued me financially and also paid a tax bill didn't professionally. It? I had a terrible, <laughs> yeah, huge tax bill that, that it helped me pay off. And then it paid for my wedding and, well. and yeah, and it kind of launched me as a, as a, it gave me the confidence to go full time and give up the the day job, the freelance work that I was doing. Yeah. yeah. Um. So so yeah, that's really positive, and it is also great that people still enthuse about it. So when I announced that I was bringing out the sequel as a paperback, um, that in the last few days on Facebook and Instagram and so on. The kind of the excitement has been has been really high. People have been even people who've kind of read them already as as ebooks. Any mention of the magpies, people get really excited, which yeah. is great. Um, however, I I feel a little bit like Radiohead must feel when people shout <laughs> "Play Creep," <laughs> because <laughs> they've obviously gone on and created all these great. Masterpieces <laughs> and works of art, and honed their craft, as have I, I believe. <laughs> and and, um, and I think that my later books are much more skillfully written, and they're more polished, and they've got big twists that I really laboured over. And <laughs> and the magpies, I I didn't even really have a twist. It kind of just it's um the t- the twist is that there is no twist. I think in that right. Book. Clever. That's not a spoiler. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so so it's kind of frustrating in a way that when I do a poll on my on my social media, and I say, "What's your favourite of my books?" It's nearly always the Magpies that comes right, out. Yeah. It's either yeah. that one or Follow You Home. Yeah. But then the other thing is that I really love the characters, and I think that the magpies had a kind of x factor that even though it wasn't polished and maybe in fact because it wasn't polished um and there's some crazy stuff happens in it like this the flat gets invaded by spiders and and things that (laughs) i might now think um yeah that's just too (laughs) far-fetched people people really remember that scene and really love it and and various other scenes in there um and yeah it that and it just struck a chord with lots of people because because of the neighbors from hell thing that lots so many people have had mm. had that experience of i mean a similar book was here to stay with the in-laws from hell like lots of people could identify with that yeah. as well yeah. <laughs> when you strike when you strike on one of those themes that's universal those books always do always do better than the ones that are a little bit more more out there mm. So, so yeah, the characters, Lucy Newton, who's the main baddie in the Magpies, she made cameo appearances in like the next four or five books. There'd always be little mentions of her, like what was happening with her court case or where she was. Um, 
and um yeah i just really love writing her and i love writing the main characters as well jamie and kirsty um so writing those sequels was a lot of fun and um i mean this is an exclusive actually i've just written a new short story starring okay yeah so that will be in the paperback at the back of the paperback as a special bonus fantastic um for people who've already got the ebook it will give them a reason to to want to buy the paperbacks it's got a six thousand word short story about lucy brilliant um yeah i mean she's my she's probably my most valuable ip if i was Well, that's yeah. the thing. I remember. I remember talking to you about this previously. In that you don't mm-hmm. have a you know a Jack Reacher character that, that crops yeah. up in every book. You've yeah. you've sustained this incredible. What are we up to? Eighteen, nineteen novels now, or uh, um, yeah, if you include the books with Louise, um, yeah. it will be nineteen. And most novels, of them are, yeah. are standalones, essentially, aren't they? So, yeah, there's there's some that kind of come in pairs. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple. Of we start Louise and I started two series that both kind of petered out after two books, right? Um, and we just moved on to do other things. But yeah, all of my solo novels, apart from the Magpies trilogy, which includes the two novellas, they're all standalones, and those yeah. novellas are not aren't included in those in that nineteen. So on top of the nineteen novels, there's like three, three novellas and various short stories and things as well. Look, looking back. Um... And I'm guessing the answer is going to be no, but I, I, I should ask, looking back, do you kind of think your life might have been easier if you'd come up with a Jack Reacher character, someone who's cropping up in every book? Or do you like the the freedom to do, you know, a Stephen King-style novel, a, a Linwood Barclay-style novel and, and, and hop along yeah, like that? I do. Well, I mean, it's swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Because I like the freedom. I like to be able to create... Mm-hmm a new story each time and to be able to kind of move around between subs. They're not different genres, but they're different sub genres. Yeah. Um, and however, it means that with every book, you've got to create a whole new set of characters, a whole new um, setting and, and kind of, although I would say that my, most of my books have a central male protagonist who is c- quite similar Right. <laughs> to me, probably. <laughs> an every man. Let's call him an every man. An every man, yeah. Yeah, an every mark. <laughs> um and uh yeah. So it it's it's um it's good and bad. And also I think the, the great commercially speaking, the great thing about standalones is that each one has a chance to kind of shine on its own. Mm. Whereas I feel that with series. I know that as a reader, if if kind of it's book eight in a series comes out and I think, oh, that sounds really good. I'm put off by the fact that I haven't read right. books one to seven. And I think, well, am I going to have to go back and read book one? There are lots of authors who I feel like are kind of, it's so late now to, to get on board um, without going, having that huge commitment of going back and reading all of the early books in the series. So although there are some, I read some, I've been reading the Bosch series, for example, for 20, 30 yeah. years, yeah, yeah, however yeah. long it's been going. And I, and there's a couple of other series that I, that I really love and I buy them like as soon as they, as soon yeah. as they come out. But I generally read standalones as well, because I just find it 
because I I get sent so many books and I and I read so much and there's so many new authors coming along and all the time that I find series hard to commit to. So I I always worry with series that it's going to be diminishing returns that you're going to that each book is going to sell a little bit as they sell fewer than the than the previous one which is what happened with the two series that louise and i tried to yeah. tried to launch was that the second book didn't sell as many and i just thought well, what's the point in carrying on with this if and i know that you're meant to hit a point where suddenly if the they it all right they all rise and, and people are constantly going back and buying your backlist which is what happened with ian ranking for example yeah 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 so i don't know i mean i there's i'm not saying that i wouldn't start a series in fact, the book that I'm writing now, so the next novel, 2024's novel, right. also brings back an old character from one of my previous books as as one of the two central protagonists. I, mean, I can't, I'm not going to announce what that is yet, though. No, who, no, it that's is, fine. No. who it is. <laughs> but it is, yeah, it's it's fun for me to go back and and um I'm, I'm kind of reacquaint myself with those characters mm. um, because there are some that I've just really enjoyed writing and you just find yourself getting slipping back into their voice. Yeah. 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 Um, so I can see how you could become bored um, if you were writing the same character over and over. Um, so maybe just kind of, having that universe and bringing them back kind of sporadically is what works best for me. I don't know. Yeah. Let's talk about that setting books in the States as well. So like The Hollows, uh, you were saying that you said it in Maine. How were you doing in the States before that? Was that an attempt uh, to sort of crack America, so to speak? Because I, I was talking to Ben Aronovich yeah. about this the other night and he he was saying, you know, he'll we and I, I've struggled with it too. We, I feel like Cliff Richard that will never crack America, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Well, so I had one huge book in America, which was Follow You Home. Mm-hmm. And it got to number two on the Kindle chart. And it sat at number two for a long time. And it sold like 750,000 copies or something ridiculous. Wow. Because if you can crack America, you can you can shift yeah, big, big numbers. Big numbers. Mm. And it was only the girl on the train that kept it off number one, which was oh. frustrating. <laughs> but... Um, um so yeah that was god how long ago was that 2015 um and then here to stay also did well in america Mm -hmm. but then the rest of them have kind of they've they've been so so i'd say the sales the sales over there and i was never sure whether that was because they were too english because folly home was set partly in romania and i thought and here to stay was set partly in France and thought maybe having like the international setting mm-hmm. rather than it just being set in the UK helps the helps the sales in the States. Mm. So I thought, right, I'm going to commit, you know, like when a band, I, I, have, I always use music. I love it. Analogies. <laughs> when a band gets in the back of a transit van and tours America and tries to crack America, like, I mean, Coldplay are big in America. So they basically put the work in and just went around America for years playing gigs or U2 or somebody like that. Mm. That's how you how you crack America. I thought, right, I'm going to really commit to it. I'm not going to get in a transit van and drive around America, but I'm going to set <laughs> three books there in a row. 
I'm not just going to sit one book there and see what happens. I'm going to really go for it. Um, and actually, it hasn't really made any difference to my sales in the States. Uh, I'd say it hasn't made any. In fact, they, they've they kind of all, they've all sold differing, and those three books have all sold differing numbers, different numbers. Um, and it's just really hard to see a pattern. I, can't, I definitely haven't seen like, oh, three books in America, my sales in America have gone up. Um, it just didn't really just didn't really do anything so i just and in fact it's upset some of my british fans right yeah because they want me to step books in in england and i i I guess you are you are testament that you don't have to crack america you know there there are enough readers in the uk and europe or what have you that uh or oz or canada who uh who are quite happy with uk set thrillers so you know, yeah, I, well, I mean, it does. Like I said, it like with with Folly Home and Here to Stay, they sold lots of copies because they did so well in America, and that that's great. And the money was incredibly useful. Um, but but yeah, still still the the majority of my sales are in the UK. My my fan base is still mostly in the UK, yeah. and um, so I, and I I also you could say that I didn't really really commit to the america thing because they were all about british protagonists in america so i never wrote them from an american character's point of view um although there are point of views in all of those books from american characters um so i was basically writing in american english for those for those chapters Although still with British spelling, I mean, it was a little bit of a hybrid of <laughs> British and American. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe if I'd done a, um, what's his name, Adrian McKinty, who's, I mean, he's Northern Irish, but he wrote The Chain and, and the, the book after that, kind of, he really went for it and wrote them as American novels. And Steve right. Kavanagh does the same. He does, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, then, I don't know. I just thought, that was too that was too much of a of a kind of change yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um so yeah i'm basically the next for for from now on i might set the occasional thing in america in the future but i'm coming back to to britain and 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 um and staying here for the foreseeable future definitely Wonderful stuff. Let's. I want to talk about the entrepreneurial thing. Then we'll get into a couple of listening questions in a minute. But because mm. um, I've got here my hot little hands, look, copy of Sweet oh, yeah. Mate, uh, which is limited edition, and it's yeah. signed by your fair hand. It's number fifty-four of five hundred. Okay, and, that's and, good. And listeners, if you're if you're looking at the YouTube uh, version of this, you'll see behind Mark there's a table. There's some jiffy bags. You were talking about doing yeah. a special <laughs> kind of box set for for magpies and special editions and what have yeah. you. We're seeing more and more authors doing their own signed limited editions, direct sales. When did you start doing this? Is it working for you? Is it something you're going to be doing more of? And is it a massive, you know, do you end up in a in a room full of books with jiffy bags and sticky tape? And- yeah, well, all, I mean, all of those things. Um, it was, I, I, I had this novella that I'd that I'd written called Sweet Me, which is so Sweet Me was a book within a book in my novel The Retreat. Yeah. yeah. So that's about a horror writer who'd had a big hit with a book called Sweet Me. And 
I decided that I would write, I wanted to write that story, but write a shorter version of it. I mean, I can write a 20, 25,000 word novella in two or three weeks. It's, it's, I find it really easy to write novellas. Right. If I could only write novellas, I would be very <laughs> happy. Because for me, it's the perfect length to tell a good story, but without all of the complexities of, of novels. Um so if I could write four novellas a year for the rest of my life, I would be very, very happy. <laughs> but unfortunately, the market doesn't really work like that. But but you can put these novellas out as extras for yeah. the kind of like the hardcore readers. So I did I just did 500 and I wanted it to be a beautiful object as well because it is, yeah. Because it fulfills a need in me that isn't fulfilled by um ebook publishing. Mm. because most of my sales are in ebook it's i mean and they do come out in paperback as well but there's something about having a hardback and a beautiful kind of limited yeah. edition book with end papers and a dust jacket and yeah. and um the, the kind of the, the foil stamping underneath the dust jacket and mm. and i so i wanted to create something really beautiful that that i would personally kind of treasure so i hired an illustrator who is very very talented and so she did all the illustrations inside the book as well mm. and um yeah and then i just sold them directly to my to my readers on my facebook page and on my mailing list and it crashed my website when i launched it, it crashed my website <laughs> and the website went down i so i did it on a live facebook party of course right <laughs> i was like go i was like okay go and like within 30 seconds the website crashed and everyone was like freaking out panicking that their <laughs> order hadn't gone through or had so i was then sitting there for an hour like people saying it's mine gone through it's mine gone through and me trying to check the <laughs> check the orders it was a customer service nightmare <laughs> even though my um my my um my web host had had assured me that this wouldn't happen it they always happen. do that they always do that <laughs> I know, I know. so i mean it's a good thing i mean it's quite exciting to say that you you crashed your website because there was so much demand yeah yeah. But yeah they sold out like immediately um and it was great i mean i i i think i charged 20 pounds for for each one mm-hmm. um and then i had to i paid my 15 year old daughter to stuff the envelope they <laughs> so put some money to do that but then i had to like print out all the labels and stick them on and 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 put them in postage bags and, and organize all of that and yeah it was very time consuming and then I had to deal with like the ones that went missing in the post. And so I had to keep a few backs so and knew that that would happen, that yeah. some would get damaged or go missing. Um, luckily, it was very few actually that that disappeared or got bashed up. Like the occasional one where the jiffy bag would come ripped open. It looked like oh, a dog had eaten the book. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was, um, it was great. It was really good fun. And I do like doing the entrepreneurial stuff where you where you're selling directly to readers. And so that's why I'm going to do the same with the with the Magpies sequels paperback as well. But I'm going to do on a site, I'm going to create more of them this time. I'm doing 2000. 
Wow. Okay. Because the paperback, I can sell it a bit cheaper. Yeah. Because uh, the printing cost is a lot less. So I didn't make loads of money off Sweet Me because the costs were actually really high. Mm, the costs of yeah. the printing and the illustrations and the and then my time as well and and the amount I had to pay my daughter to stuff the envelopes. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a big cost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, it wasn't like a huge, and it was low volume as well. It was only five hundred, so it wasn't a big money spinner. But it was, it was, it was good fun, and it kind of was a good mm. test case, yeah, to see yeah. whether people would buy stuff direct from me, yeah. And the other, and so I'm now creating this list of like the absolute kind of um my my kind of hardcore customers, the people who I know are willing to buy to buy kind of like premium premium yeah. books directly from me rather than just like a 99p yeah, yeah. That they might buy from amazon i mean you can sell ebooks direct to customers as well now using yes. things like book funnel which i yeah. i'm quite interested because so i haven't brought out the ebook of sweet me yet Right. So I'm thinking of doing that. So later this year, I think I might launch it directly just from my website first, um, which allows me to sell it a little bit cheaper because I'll be getting like a hundred percent of the yeah yeah money, not having to give a big chunk to to Amazon or your daughter or Jiffy bags. You know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and I, and you are so one of the questions that you asked me in 2017 was whether I had a mailing list, whether I'd got an, an email list when I yeah, yeah. started. And because I and I used to work in email marketing, and and when I started in 2011, I neglected to set up an email <laughs> mailing list. I rectified that, so yeah. I've now got like 20,000 people on an email list. Wow! So um, and that is, in, I mean, to any author listening, that that is my most valuable mm. asset really is that email list and my um i mean my facebook page as well still because facebook is still so good for this demographic yeah yeah I'm not, Although... on tic- not on tiktok yet right <laughs> <laughs> no it's like i said the mailing list thing is all because you never facebook when we spoke you know Six years ago, or whatever, Facebook seemed like it was here to stay. But you know, mm. who knows what's going to happen? Who knows what's around the corner? It's uh, yeah, so- yeah. Because you're you can't be too reliant on that because you never know what Facebook are going to do, um, or whether people are going to migrate to a different platform. Yeah. Um, so I think you do have to spread yourself across a few different platforms. But but, but that email list, that's mine, and, that's and yours, even yeah. if Mailchimp which is the one that I use even if mailchimp went bust I've still I could st- I can still download that list and and yeah. they're my my they're my um my contacts so um so yeah I think that's that's really really important to have that direct that direct line to your to your readers so yeah so I I I like having a mix of I can't see myself going purely back to self-publishing and selling direct customers. I can't, I wouldn't want to do that, but I like having it as a kind of side, a side hustle. (laughs) 
And it's not, I don't, and, and I'm not just doing it for the, I'm not just doing it for money. I'm doing it because I really enjoy doing it. I like to put things out that my publisher might not want to do or because yeah. they only really want to do novels. Mm. It allows me to get things out to people in interesting formats, different stories, different material. And um, yeah, just the fact that we've got this freedom to do this now, whereas it used to be seen as, vanity publishing years ago mm-hmm. i think it's great so um it's, it's the, the only issue really is time and, and the time it takes to write those books and to and all the work that goes into producing them yeah indeed i mean i've just been downstairs ordering cardboard boxes and <laughs> and uh, and trying to work out the cost per unit of cardboard boxes yeah, yeah. And, and it's kind of boring but essential that part of it absolutely we've got i've got a couple of listed questions okay. uh first first one's from andrew guile who says what's it like being with an amazon imprint and would you recommend it to others and he says that this might be a daft question bearing in mind he sold four million books but uh mm-hmm. you were thomas and mercer um yeah you know uh, I, I what i will say i do know and not mentioning any names i do know managers of bookstores who will turn mm. their nose up Amazon imprints mm. um, because they're seen as the big bad. Has that, yeah. has that, but obviously, you know, you're selling books like the gangbusters. So, um, you know, yeah. So that's the, that's really the only downside of being with Amazon um, is that it is quite hard to get your books into shops. Mm. And my local Wardstones after 10 years has just started stocking my books. And they did that because a reader of mine was harassing them on Twitter to do it. <laughs> and it's great. They did it. They, I'd given up. I'd given up going in there because it was just got embarrassing. Mm. I was just like, well, fine, whatever. I, I mean, I go to that shop all the time and buy books. And my yeah. books were in there. And I just kind of had to just, just uh, swallow it. Um, and I'm also doing a big event. Um, I mean, it will have been and gone by the time this goes out but i'm doing a big event in wardstones islington with lisa jewel at the end of february right which is great because five years ago they wouldn't if i was doing a festival and wardstones were providing the books they refused to sell my books they refused Mm. to put them on the table with the other the other authors because they had a because they they'd kind of gone through that thing where they were selling kindles so they were kind of in with amazon and then they just went completely the other way yeah yeah we're having a complete break from anything to do with amazon and it's so it's thawed a bit now Mm. and i'm also starting to get festival appearances and and um things that previously seemed to be closed to thomas and mercer um authors so i'm i've kind of done all the all of the big crime festivals in the UK now. And I've got more this year, which is fantastic. So I love doing that. That's good. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you want to sell eBooks, there is no better publisher than, Mm. than Thomas and Mercer. Yeah. The crime. And, and they've got their other imprints for romance and science fiction and so on. And in terms of the editorial and the design and all the other stuff that publishers do, they're they're brilliant. They're exactly the same as any other publisher. Yes. The editorial process is really rigorous. Um, And I think the book, they create great book covers. 
Um, they're really nice to work with. They do, they, they're very collaborative. They, they listen to, to your opinions and, um, yeah, but they're the same as any other publisher. Some authors do really, really well with them. Some authors don't do as well. And it's not like you sign with them and you're guaranteed to sell huge numbers. It's, it's, um, it's the same as any other publisher. Just that they have that kind of that i mean because they're kind of slightly separate to the rest of amazon but they have that relationship with them where they can like use their email email lists and so on that that really really helps so yeah i i i'm always recommending thomas mercer to other authors because i'm constantly getting asked by other authors <laughs> oh, what's it like being with thomas mercer and i have i have i will get direct messages or phone calls from authors that I know who've been with traditional publishers saying, well, I've had an offer from Amazon. Can you tell me what it, what they're like? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I should take a commission off of all these authors. <laughs> There's been so many over the years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a question from, from Kate Baker who says uh, that she first met, and there's air quotes around that, met you at one of the Fiction Cafe live uh, sessions, possibly in 2018. She said you had great fun, what with the cat and okay. Poppy pulling names from the hat to win prizes. Now, yeah. Kate herself has a Fiction Cafe live thing coming up. Now, it's coming on the Sunday, 5th, okay. 5th of March, which is actually after this episode goes out. But Kate is a, a Patreon supporter, so I'm going to do a little clip and send it to her before this episode comes out. Okay. So she's asking, do you have any advice for doing a Fiction Cafe live and just generally advice for live events on online anyway? Oh, for um, advice, I mean, just... Just be yourself. Try and be be. I mean, if you're funny, try and be funny. <laughs> if you're, um, and and um, yeah, just be enthusiastic. Don't be too salesy. Just answer people's yeah. questions and chat with the readers, and just try and be natural. I think. I mean, I personally find it quite. I'm quite comfortable in front of the camera mm-hmm. and and chatting to people. Keep an eye on the comments, see what people are saying, respond to the comments, call people by their name when they when they leave a comment or when they address you. Um, when I st- I always start my Facebook events by kind of doing a roll call of who's here and reading yeah, and saying yeah. the names and and um yeah, because for me it's like a big, it's like a big extended family. Because whenever I do these things, I see the same people, they come back. Uh, the same people coming back for 10 years now to every mm. event that I've done, which which I really love. And I kind of I, I feel like I've built a relationship with these with these readers. And they'll come to my events and I might meet them in real life. And um yeah, just be just be nice, really. Is the, yeah. kind of, the main <laughs> best advice. Don't get don't get grumpy and refuse to answer questions and <laughs> and um don't be pretentious. Wonderful advice. It's good advice. So, Mark, thanks so much for coming back. Uh, we've talked about what's coming, so keep her secrets coming, and there are more novels on the way, special editions. It sounds... Yeah. I mean, you're, you're kind of living your dream, aren't you? I mean, this is what you'd always wanted, wasn't it? I mean, Yeah, I of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it took me so long to get here that it, t- it tastes so sweet once to achieve something that's, that's very hard to achieve. So there was two achieves in that sentence. I would edit that written down. <laughs> 
there's, there's an author. There's an yeah. author. <laughs> well, look, uh, let's let's get you back. Let's not leave it so long next time. I'd love to get you back on the podcast at some point. Yes. But um, it's been an absolute joy speaking to you. And uh, well, thank you for having me back on. Absolute pleasure. So uh, take care and speak to you again soon. Okay. Cheers. Bye. Oh, you know, Mark. When when we interviewed Mark the first time round. Back in the back in the first year of the podcast, it was one of my favourite interviews. Absolutely mm. inspiring, lovely, lovely guy as well. Lovely and guy, yeah. he deserves every success he's got. But you know, it's amazing to think, isn't it? Back in the day, that he did text only parties. Text only parties blows my mind. Of course, you know there wasn't the video streaming stuff that we have now, it, and it made me think as well because I, when I was at Orion. Uh, one of my accounts was Waterstones, and we used to do interviews, which were text only. Yeah, which were which were text only interviews on Twitter. I remember one memorable night doing one with Barry Humphreys, who was in character as Dame Edna Everidge. And I tell you, half the stuff was uh, you just were, even then on Twitter, you just wouldn't put it out. They're instantly cancelled. It was such a funny, very very funny man, Barry Humphreys. Um, so yeah, this this whole kind of text thing was really big then. But this is the thing with Mark. He's always been at the forefront of this kind of online thing. and But also having that direct relationship with his readers, which is which is so important to nurture. And um, that, this is why he's got such a loyal fan base, because they're, you know, it, they, they feel like they're on the journey with him. And it's such an important lesson, I think, to learn. And I know he's got this thing with Facebook, but well, we'll talk about this in the extended one as well. You know, the the uh, the, the email list and it, all, all that kind of thing. It's it's it is important, but yeah, God, text only Facebook. Uh, imagine, I know it's just it's like CFAX for anyone outside of London <laughs> that doesn't remember C might not know CFAX. CFAX was a uh, you used to get it with a special button on your massive poor man's internet. Control. Yeah, yeah, poor yeah. man's internet. Yeah, <laughs> used, we actually used to book holidays. Do you remember you? Yes, yeah, you did. And gig tickets you used to get gig tickets on there. You know, yeah, yeah. And the classic yeah. one, all my friends, it was like the sports scores. So they yeah. they would live live update when yeah. when Liverpool scored, and and you just literally just be staring at the screen waiting for something to happen. It was. Uh, it was quite amazing, but yeah. Or it would cycle round and you'd be sitting there waiting for that page to come round again. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't. Yeah, it was a bit like kind of, I guess it was like tape, the tape player of, uh, of, of the, <laughs> back in the day. You had to wait for it to finish with no fast forward button as well. But um, I think it's I think it's really important, whatever way. I mean, I, I know when you think about what Mark's achieved in his career, a lot of that success has come from building a really core loyal fan base. And you do you do hear about this over and over. I mean, you hear about these, you know, there's people out there who talk about, oh, you need 500 raving fans or 500 real fans or, you know, but there's this idea that I think we get a little bit too hung up on this premise that in order to sell a lot of books like Mark has, we need to have, you know, um, mailing lists of millions or Facebook groups or Facebook pages with like a hundred thousand followers. We don't, if you've got that massive early engaged group of a small group of people, they do so much of the work for you in terms of getting that word of mouth out there. So we'll talk a little bit more about that in the extended, because we're going to dive into a bit about email lists, which is obviously a huge part. And I know a lot of people struggle with that, but um, let's, let's talk now, Mark, about series and standalone, because this is really fascinating because one of the things that we've, discussed a lot with a lot of authors over the years is the benefits of series i know that you'll you'll fully you know fully embrace that and you've you know you're on book five now aren't you of your series um 
not quite. I've delivered book four. Book five is I'll be writing late this year. But yeah, right, absolutely. yeah. So on to book five. So, yeah. so you've had experience with series. We talked to some, um, you know, massively successful authors like Shannon Mayer, where you know series is a big part of what she does. But it's yeah. so fascinating to find that here we've got Mark Edwards, who still is looking at the standalone and and he made some really valid points didn't he about the the value of standalone versus series yeah yeah and he really does buck buck the trend i think and uh i think it speaks to how his readers view him as well they they've come to trust him and it he was he was talking talking about this idea of reminding people why they like reading your books in the first place as well about sort of you know just uh just checking in on yourself and not getting too self-obsessed or carried away or or blinkered to what readers like and what they enjoy and again it comes back to this thing of you get you get that kind of honest feedback and constructive feedback and helpful feedback if you have a close relationship with your readers and um yeah so it's uh, i i think people come back for him and his voice and the fact that he writes these great you know, engaging, twisty-turny stories. So in, in a way, he is the brand rather than the character being the brand. And there's, you know, there aren't many authors that... Neil Gaiman, you know, does that. There aren't... Joanne Harris, I think, is up there as well. Um, so it's uh, Gillian Flynn. So there aren't... Yeah, Stephen King. You know, there aren't many authors who who become bigger than maybe the the character i think it's interesting yeah although it's interesting as well to look at he mentioned he referenced inwood barkley who we've had on the show before as well and yes Linwood and and they do create and and mark did say this as well is that he there is a world that's being created even though it's not the same world every book but there are characters who kind of drop in and out yeah. so i think i think what i took away from that is you know regardless of whether you're going standalone or series i think it's good to have some kind of weaving of characters a little bit of tapestry linwood barkley does it he sometimes uh linwood sets a lot of his books in the same location and so people naturally kind of come in and out because they're they might be bystanders in one book they might be the main character in another but it's it's this idea of having this kind of tapestry of a world where you don't know if at any point someone might come in and and so there is that kind of link. It's a way of kind of like either loosely linking books together or obviously linking them together in a series. But so I think that for me is core. And, and like you say, the most important thing ultimately, and it's proof in, you know, with, with, with Mark and many other authors, it really, really does come down to, does the reader want to read you, your book, your voice? Is, is that, that's ultimately, whether it's series or standalone, that is ultimately what they're, what they're buying into and what will keep them coming back for more. Absolutely. And the, the thing that Mark and Linwood and, and people like that are doing when they bring little characters in like this, they are rewarding the long-term reader without burdening them with doing a load of homework or having to remember anything. It's just like a little pleasant moment of delight. You know, oh, it's someone so from that other book. I like that. That's good fun. Um, you know, Elmore Leonard used to do that as well. Now, now I think about it. He'd have characters coming in and out of his books. So there's no... You don't feel like you have to have read an encyclopedia to enjoy it. It's just a little moment of delight, and I think that's 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 it's, it's done with a light touch. That's really cool. I think this is this is why people are the the whole Marvel bandwagon is starting to come off the rails a bit. You know, because they're seeing the box office, some of their movies, and it's it's like because the so much of it's on TV now, and it's become this big kind of 
bloated soap opera. And when you sit down to watch a movie, it's like, well, have I have I watched this series and this movie and this movie? Do I need to watch these to make sense of it? And then the thing that that was key to bringing drawing you in is is now becoming a barrier. And uh, I think one of the things I've heard from authors that write series is every few books give people an in point. Give people, you know, write a, something that's the equivalent to a standalone so people can come in again and just enjoy it from that point. And it's something that's very much on my mind at the moment because, like I say, I've just written book four. I'm about to do book five. And I don't want it to become so convoluted and complex that new readers will will be baffled by what they're reading. Um you know, it's interesting because my editors, I've just got notes back on book four and she's like, we just need a little couple of things just to let readers know what's come before without bogging the whole thing down, you know, and it's it, literally just a line or two here or there, nothing, nothing major. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's tricky to pull off, but. And it's an it interesting is, one, isn't it? Because like what we haven't discussed in the past, we've talked about the value of, of series. We haven't talked about the challenges of a successful series. <laughs> like, and this is a whole different, I mean, what a great problem to have in many ways. But I do think that, um, I think there's two different types of reader as well. Um, I, as a reader, if I knew something was a series, I would always want to start a book one. It's just just how I am. I'd, I want to kind of go through it in a chronological order just because um, I, I like I, that's how I like to kind of build my knowledge about this world or about this uh, this series of books. Whereas other people are quite happy to jump in. And then many times people pick a book up and they start reading it completely unaware that, that it's part of a series and, and well, they I, might. I did that. I did that. Uh, in fact, uh, listeners, if you go back to our episode with Simon Scarrow about four or five episodes ago, because he was on book 21 of a series, he's his Roman um uh, Legionnaire uh, series that does huge is hugely successful. And I remember when I was researching the interview, I looked at the reviews and on Goodreads and Amazon and what have you. And there were a number of readers who said, "I had no idea this was book twenty one in a series." I picked it up, absolutely loved it. So he Scarrow has the knack of bringing you into his world without burdening you with. And it, it, you know, there are maps at the front, there are character lists, there there's a what has gone before kind of thing. Uh, I, I did it. I remember picking up one of Bernard Cornwell's um, Uther Pendragon books, you know, about King Arthur and what have you. Uh, and this was like the fifth book. But I still loved it. Still was that because it was, yes, it was the same character. And there are characters who had been in previous um, uh, episodes of that saga, if you like. But it was one story told well, had a clear beginning, middle and end. And you could enjoy it as a standalone. So it's um, if you can pull that off, I think you're off to the races. Definitely, definitely. Now, the other thing that I thought would be fun to jump into is this idea about Amazon imprints, because I think this is also something that a lot of authors aren't really very aware of. I mean, from if you're not signed to an Amazon imprint or if you've never reached out to one, you might not even be aware that there was such a thing. Um, but it's fascinating how uh, there's this kind of play with, you know, the competition between books, bookstores, physical bookstores, yeah. which to me makes complete sense. I mean, if you've got like, um, you know, Amazon are, have changed the face of the book world, literally. Um, they completely changed the direction of it. And so, you know, Amazon are a threat to to any traditional bookseller. So it doesn't seem surprising that some of those booksellers aren't too happy about stocking their competitors. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, we can debate the rights and wrongs of that Um 
because it is, it, you know, it's not fair on an author like Mark Edwards, who, you know, writes perfectly, you know, wonderful books that should be read by as many people as possible. And, but yeah, I mean, they are seen as Amazon are seen as the big bad, but if you're an author, as Mark said, you know, great editing, great covers, great marketing, you know, Amazon is an organization that knows a thing or two about digital marketing, you know? So uh, and how many authors do I know with traditional publishers who are like, I don't get any marketing whatsoever, you know? So it's, um, there is that to consider too. So it's, I think it is changing as, as Mark said, he's, he's getting invited to festivals. Now he's getting invited to bookshops to, to do events and what have you. I think, um, you know, uh, the attitudes are changing uh, much like, I mean, when we started this podcast, there was, still a massive prejudice against uh, self-published authors. And that's changed as well. We've seen that change over the course of the podcast. There's still a stigma there, I think, for, for certain readers. But you're, you're going to, you know, these things take time. I mean, we are in a, a, a time of incredible change in bookselling and publishing. And we're, as you've mentioned a few times, we're just getting started. Ten years from now, it could still be very, very different. Oh, completely. Yeah. We're still in the exploration phase of this yeah. new brave new world that we're part of in the in the world of publishing. So fascinating stuff. So folks, if you would like to join Mark and I in the extended edition of this podcast, we're going to dive in and talk about the importance of success in the US. We're going to also talk about how you do direct sales, something Mark's had a lot of experience and I've had experience of doing as well. And if you're an indie author, you won't want to miss that because we're going to go deep and talk a bit about that. Uh, we're going to explore the importance of also writing novellas and, and go a bit deeper as to why novellas are so much easier to write, as Mark Edwards said in his interview. And finally, the big the big holy grail that every author wants to know about, email lists. Again, Mark and I have had quite a few, and I will say, just drop it in there. Um, uh, I've been doing email lists now for about 25 years. Um, so if you want to kind of share a little bit about how we, I get six-figure numbers on email lists, I'm like, 20,000, Mark, come on. I'll, I'll talk a little <laughs> bit about that. But um, it's a, it, as Mark said, it's his most valuable asset. So it's very important to, uh, to, to think about if you're at whatever stage of writing. In fact, it's as important to think about when you're starting writing because you need to have an audience when you finish your book. But we'll go deeper into that. So if you'd like to support this podcast, please pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support, where you will get access to the extended edition of this podcast. One thing I forgot to mention Mark, was Mark, Mark Edwards talked about uh, his website crashing when he, uh, when he <laughs> sold this book. And it reminded me of the time when the opening day when we launched the Academy <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> we gave everyone their username and logins, not thinking that we're like having this this crowd of people all charging through one one door. And it does. It's like unbelievable. Like you, it does, there's just something about trying to uh, to time things in a way. And so for anyone out there who's thinking of doing a big push and a big launch, you know, it's, it's really important to spread it out. But anyway, just a little aside there. Mm -hmm. So, Mark, what's happening on social media this week? Uh, all kinds of wonderful good news. Uh, starting over on the Academy, Penny Dean on the Academy, she started a new thread in the forum, Share Your Wins. We have this wonderful forum where people talk about all their good news. Uh, Penny says, this morning, I've written those two little words on my first draft. The end. 
I figured out, I started working on this idea for NaNoWriMo 2018, so it's been a long time coming, and I'm beyond excited. I'm putting champagne in the fridge for later. It's before 9 a.m. right now, so a bit early. Hey, you know, champagne, whatever. Uh, congrats, Penny. Penny is a regular on uh, my craft coaching sessions, and it's just been wonderful seeing seeing the book finally come together. So congrats, Penny. Great news. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and we celebrated with Penny, actually, on the uh, Life Coaching for Writers session that we did in the Academy on Monday. And I got to actually speak with Penny directly and say, how does it feel? Like, let's just cap. And you just, her face was glowing. She was so excited. I thought, you know, it reminded me, and I want to share this with everyone because it's really important not to forget. We had a bit of a conversation around this, but it reminded me of the importance of celebrating that moment. It's a huge milestone to get to the end of your first draft. And if anyone else is out there, uh, you know, who's 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 just finished, like make sure you take time to stop and acknowledge this incredible milestone that you reached. Because there's not many people that do it. Like if you look yeah. at it across the world, there's not many people who can say, I've I've even written the first draft of a book. So congratulations, Penny. Absolutely excited. And well done to everyone else who's uh, who's also coming close to that as well. Well, here's another milestone uh, from another academy. Aaron Brooks uh, got in touch and said, hey, gang, a little update. He signed with the agent, Amy Collins. Uh, thank you to Mark Stay and Mark DeVoe for all their support over the years. A new journey begins. Now, Aaron, I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of working on one of his books, uh, a star in the making, absolute star. And, and again, perseverance, 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 never giving up when other people might have. Uh, huge congrats to Aaron. This is, like I say, is the next stage and um, more good things to come, I think, from him. And if we rewind quickly, uh, I think a couple of months ago, Aaron won a competition, didn't he? A, um, yeah. A story yeah. competition. And so it just shows, you know, we, we talk about, you know, trying things out, entering competitions. It gets your name out there. I'm sure that had a lot to do with him landing this incredibly big yeah. and exclusive agent. So we we can't wait to see how Aaron's journey carries on. So congratulations to you too. So another milestone. So we've gone from finishing to getting an agent. And then we've got Kate Baker, who is on the podcast pretty much every week now because she is an an Academy superstar. But <clears throat> you might remember last week, oh, the week before we talked about her event at Waterstones in Ipswich. Uh, she says, oh my God, I'm just home. Uh, I've cotton wool inside of my head from three solid hours of chatting and laughing and sharing. And she had an amazing event at Waterstones Ipswich. Uh, in fact, a couple of academates turned up. Jack Harmon, Tracy Montague t- turned up. She said, finding your tribe takes on a whole new meaning when lovely folk from an online group begin to appear in real life. And Kate, she's also been on uh, BBC Radio. She had this sort of half-hour interview. Uh, they have a thing on BBC Radio Suffolk, and she gave the Academy a mention there and the podcast. So huge thanks for that, Kate. We are going to be speaking to Kate in a special Academy All-Stars episode when we can find a slot in her busy diary. <laughs> Superstar. It's just, it, it, you know, wanted everywhere. So, yeah, huge congrats. You know, so so we've had so we had someone finishing their draft, someone getting an agent, Kate's published, and now she's done a, an amazing event. So congrats on that, Kate. Uh, here's, an, here's another milestone, right, from another uh, long-term supporter. Jeevani uh, Cherica, uh, she's, uh, she's on Monday. I'm going to find out whether my novel Playing for Love has won an award or not. And here's one of the first interviews I did about it, and it's episode 367 with Jeev, uh, which I'll put a link into the show notes so you can check that out. So Jeev is um, – sh- these are the RNA awards that she's alluding to here. Yeah, it is massive. So uh, – uh, Jeeve is uh, shortlisted 
a nominated rather for the Jane Wenham Jones Award for Romantic Comedy for her novel Playing for Love. So, Jeeve, we've got everything crossed for you there. And also another member of the BXP group on Facebook, Lorna Cook. She's up for the Historical Romantic Novel Award for The Dressmaker's Secret. So, you know, massive... And if Lorna wins that, she's going to have to get a new mantelpiece, I think, because she's yeah, won. Yeah, because that'll be a second one, I think. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. she's won a cut. She's won a couple, uh, yeah. two or three, yeah. with the RNA as well. Which, if, if people again, if you if you've not if you're not into romance or that's like the RNA is like the big the big kind of organisation for romance writers. So that's a huge, huge yeah. accolade yeah. if you get even yeah. even nominated. So we're celebrating already, but all fingers crossed for both of you in that. Absolutely. Look at those milestones. It's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. And also, a uh, lovely note from Natalie Perry, writing life hacks. She says, I followed Mr. D's advice today and started a new notebook by leaving some pages at the beginning for contents and writing page numbers on every page of the book. Three pages into the notebook, two items on my contents page. I'm already loving how organized it is. Thank you for the tip. You bang on about this a bit. Quite I a bit do. I, it's life changing, folks. It's life changing. I'm gonna to have to do. I'm gonna to have to bring back the motivational minutes uh, from season yeah, one yeah. at some point, Mark, and, <laughs> and pick a new tip each week of life hacks from Mr. D. But uh, that's super. I, I love and I love to hear like any anyone who has success with any of the things we talk about. That really fills me up. I, I love to hear about people who've taken something on and how it's going to help them. So brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing. And if you have any other wins. Um, if you want to celebrate even, you know, the smallest of things, which is which is a big for you in your life, then please share it with us on the podcast because we love to share all of this news. And not only will we celebrate with you, but you will be inspiring other people because I promise you, for everything that you achieve, there's someone out there trying to achieve it. And to hear someone yeah. who's done it, it keeps them going and it stops them from giving up even sometimes. So please, please share your wins. Very Go true. along to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com and click on the contact form and send Mark and I a note. Yeah, or you can find us on social media. We're on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment, Twitter and Instagram at Bestseller XP. And if you've enjoyed the show, if you've been inspired by our guests like Mark Edwards and all the other guests we've had in the show, give us a rating. Uh, give us a star rating or subscribe or pop a review on your podcast catcher. It all makes a big difference, makes us more visible and helps other writers get their voices heard and make the world a better place. Basically, if you give us a five-star review, you're changing the world. There we go. Yeah. Uh, in, in a nutshell, really. It's that simple, isn't it? It really I mean, we're all is. We're searching really is. for the meaning of yeah. life and it, all it comes down to is a five-star review. Give it a five-star <laughs> review on iTunes. <laughs> so thank you, folks. And if, if you haven't yet heard or started or tried the 200-word challenge, it's our free way of getting started on the habit of writing for a lifetime so pop along to 200wordchallenge.com and find out more about how you can change and break through with those daily writing habits that we're all desperately trying to trying to do um so folks have a great writing week it's been wonderful having you with us again thank you so much mr stay thank you to our our two um, podcast editors, JD and Dave, we appreciate all the work you guys put in to make us sound kind of relatively uh, normal. Lucid. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible work that they do. And thank you again to everyone for joining us. And we can't wait to be with you next week. So it's a goodbye from Mark 1. And a goodbye from Mark 2. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.